Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey Linecon Master Knockreiner. When's the last time you had to stand in Linecon? Actually, not for a long time. <laughs> thanks to the Black Hat, I get to reserve my DEFCON patch, so it's probably been minus the two years that are three, two, two years we haven't gone. I, I, I probably haven't done it for two, probably four years <laughs> since I actually had to stand in the DEFCON line. As Corey is hinting at, today's episode will be all about Hacker Summer Camp, which is the combination of Black Hat and DEFCON security conferences that happen every year when there isn't a pandemic happening in Las Vegas. Uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and stand in line until the episode starts. That sounds great. Make sure to bring your Steam Deck and talk to the people Ooh, around good you. Good idea. They're all interesting. So it is time. Uh, by the time you are listening to this, uh, I will actually be on an airplane to Las Vegas uh, for the first, at least for me and our team and Corey as well, in-person hacker summer camp in two years now since before the pandemic basically hacker summer camp being the the combination of the black hat and defcon information security conferences that take place in the summer in vegas every year when there isn't a global pandemic raging along um man i i still remember early 2020 like around march when things were starting to shut down uh, we had just gotten our shipment of uh, our digital badges to give out as part of our ctf contest uh, at what would have been that year's Black Hat and Defcon conferences, and we even like designed cutesy little like mask add-ons for them because we're like, oh, we'll be able to hand these out in person. It'll all blow over by then, basically. Uh, yeah, weren't we naive? <laughs> how wrong were we? Um, so Black Hat and Defcon were uh, remote that year. Uh, Defcon was Defcon actually in person last year? I believe it was still fully remote last year as well too. I thought that they did hybrid. I, I feel like right, the last they year they had they had folks that could come, but I, I hear based on the few that did go that it was like dead. Yep, kind of like Penny Arcade Expo in Seattle, unfortunately. Um, but this year uh, it is back. I imagine there will still be some folks probably hanging back just because reality is we're not fully out of the pandemic yet does seem to be new waves going around now we got to worry about monkeypox too apparently never a dull day in this world <laughs> unfortunately um but uh they i anticipate them being bigger than they were previously and i am personally very much looking forward to visiting vegas in person which i feel like is the first time i've said that in a very very long time <laughs> yeah I'll hold you to that when we get there in the middle of summer on the strip in the sunshine. Ask me on Thank day God for three air. if I'm still happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least uh, Mandalay and is it Paris or wherever? Or is are they moving DEFCON? Wherever DEFCON is this year, at least there's air conditioning. It's at Caesars again, I think, assuming that it hasn't been destroyed by all the flooding that's gone on in the last couple of weeks. Um, but anyways, uh, so with that in mind, uh, historically, before we head off to Hacker Summer Camp, Corey and I usually sit down and try and pick out which briefings we are most excited about to see in person. Obviously, this year, you potentially have the chance of seeing them remotely as well, too. Both of them have some form of hybrid option. Black Hat, I believe you still have to pay a sizable sum for. DEF CON is free. If not the day of, they tend to post them on YouTube very shortly after. And so we were going to use this episode to go through a few of the uh, chats at both these conferences that 
we think are going to be interesting, both industry-wide and even just personally as well, too. And now with that, let's go ahead and start in the Black Hat side, and I'll throw one off right off the bat. Uh, the title of it is In Destroyer 2, Sandworms Cyber Warfare Targets Ukraine's Power Grid. Um, this one's being uh, given by Robert Lipovsky and Anton Cherip. Oh boy, I'm so sorry. Cheripanov. Uh, both researchers at the security firm ESET. Um, so this talk, I'm excited for it because like Indestroyer was pretty big back in 2016 when it was discovered after it knocked out a portion of Ukraine's power grid back then. And we've seen for the last uh, since when was it February when this invasion started? Uh, cyber warfare has been a big part of Russia's aggressions in the Ukraine. And this is ESET's analysis of basically version 2.0 of Indestroyer, the uh, the malware specifically targeting industrial control systems and industrial operational technology. Um, so I thought this one looked really cool. I bet this is going to be a pretty big topical one just in general. It does seem to it's not the only Russia-Ukraine related talk going on at the conferences. Um, but this one looks pretty cool. What are your thoughts, Corey? I'm assuming you'll probably be at this one as well, too. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm very interested in hearing about Industrier too. you know, electric grid, industrial control hacking is, is definitely a big topic. I think we're going to see more with it with, with cyber warfare in general, which used to seem like a marketing term, but nowadays seems more realistic. So definitely one for me. Uh, as well. I guess while we're on the subject of unusual operational technology, I'm actually excited for Glitched on Earth by Humans, a black box security evaluation of the SpaceX Starlink user terminal. Uh, and I, I'm sure our folks have heard of Starlink. Uh, that is kind of the satellite internet that Elon Musk is, is launched with SpaceX. It's now available around the world. Uh, what is it? Don't doesn't he want like twenty thousand satellites in the next five more years? And I think he already is has thousands up there right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but in either case, since it's released, uh, you know, there's a widespread availability of the Starlink user terminal itself. So there's stuff researchers can dig into right now, and that appears to be what Leonard Wooters, uh, a PhD researcher at Imek Kasik. Uh, I'm not quite sure where that school is, but I'm sure I'll find out if we go to his talk. Uh, anyways, he's he's done some uh, hardware hacking of the user terminals. User, user so, terminal being the like the satellite dish bit itself, like kind of like you know what you would get for DirecTV, but this time starting yeah, yeah, a little I, more advanced. I think it's the piece you you get uh, yourself that you have as the client dish that you hook up to the main satellite. So we'll see how much he's able to do uh, unauthorized communications with the satellites with this and i i think some of you remember we had a we always have different uh you know predictions every year and one of them was expect a space hack so i'm curious to see if this starts helping deliver on a prediction that we think already started with nation state focus there so this one's pretty just cool uh, too, because yeah uh, starlink has been uh it was elon musk actually turned it online for the country of ukraine back on that topic too pretty soon after that war started and a lot of their communications infrastructure got knocked out and very soon after that, they noted that they saw Russian uh, cyber adversaries attempting to disrupt those uh, stations, too. It's just like jamming efforts as well. So we've seen some like RF hacking against them. It'd be cool to see what like physical access to that box can potentially get you as well. 
Yeah, I think they'll have modified bootloaders, mod chips, lots of interesting hardware hacking stuff. So it should be interesting. Mod chips. Can we get Xbox Media Center running on one of these user terminals? Uh, yeah, you and me, as soon as I see the custom printed circuit board or mod chip, I'm like, okay, I definitely want to mod my Starlink. I uh, got to be careful, though. Apparently that ends you, ends you up in prison. I guess if you're making them, not if you're uh, in certain using. countries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one's going to be a pretty cool talk. Um, looking forward to see what comes of that. Like another one that I was looking forward to that isn't actually a technical talk, um, but I feel still very topical within the cybersecurity and just IT space in general. It's called Trying to Be Everything to Everyone. Let's Talk About Burnout by Stacey Thayer, a PhD clinical and organizational business psychologist out of Norfolk State University. And this one stood out to me because I feel like a lot of people in the tech space <laughs> Like they work a lot in we, the security space, security even, space specifically. Or, yeah. Like we're very passionate about our jobs. There is a skills gap shortage, meaning there's more work to be done than there are people to do it. And this is a very real risk that a lot of people face. And the way it's proposed is to try and identify that within your own teams and be able to stamp it out too, which is something I want to make sure I can do for our team as well, uh, because absolutely, it's a very it's it's a very real risk. Um, so I this and is I. Cool. I, I I jokingly say, are you trying to tell me something? But uh, obviously, you know, I think everyone in this industry has felt burnout before, mm -hmm. me included. So I think it's very, a very topical talk. And if you're in leadership, as we both are in security, not just for yourself, but like you say, being able to recognize it in others so that you can keep, I mean, uh, when you get such good cybersecurity expertise, just maintaining that and retaining that employee is very important. So... Uh, certainly helps to make sure that they don't feel overtasked and they get some of the there there is a lot of motivating and cool parts of the job too but it does come with work so balancing that it'd be interesting to see what the psychology uh, person says and it'll be a cool like change of pace from you know typically you I, at least i do and i know you do a big extent to go to these conferences for some of the more technical conversations we like nerding out over seeing someone pop a shell on something fun and this would be a cool little change of pace, I feel like, to uh, go to a non-technical talk and see what a someone, at least in the uh, realm of protecting humans, uh, can uh, give us to educate on. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and speaking of non-technical talks, I guess as I go, as we both go more towards operation management and, and C-level stuff, you know, we also have to consider high-level we brought it up a second ago, but another kind of more high, I, what I suspect will be a high level talk, but certainly an interesting talk I, I expect press to be at is called Real Cyber War, Espionage, DDoS, Leaks, and Wipers in the Russian Invasion of Ukraine. And uh, this looks like it's threat researchers from Sentinel-1, Juan Andreas uh, Guerrero Sade, man, lots of names there, and Tom Hegel. And I, I presume they're going to, apparently they, they've gotten some data from the cyber war. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, anything they talk about, about the type of wiper malware or threats that they, that have happened in this real war. I think the Ukraine-Russian attack, you know, we've been talking about 
cyber war forever and about small little cyber campaigns that happen right before physical campaigns in the past but this is the first time that i i think we've really seen an extended physical war that's been accompanied the whole time not just by state-sponsored actors on both sides participating in offensive cyber campaigns but even seeing hacktivists and activists with their own views around the world uh you know kind of also jumping into it, which really is a whole new threat when civilian actors can throw hacktivism into it. So should be interesting to hear about that. And of course, very timely with the Russian-Ukraine war going on now. Yeah, honestly, so I like the way they even proposed this, basically. Like you said, we've been talking about cyber war for a long time. You know, sometimes as we propose it as, oh, is it going to kick off a real physical conflict? Or, you know, there's been little bits of Russia, for the most part, poking other countries with different um, cyber attacks uh, that have damages to their actual infrastructure, like the original Indestroyer. Um, and the way that uh, the the folks giving this talk phrased it was basically, you know, we've always had these fantastical aberrations about all this and how, oh, cyber warfare, this is going to be the future. And now it literally is the present. Like, this is what we are seeing now. Um, so, yeah, that one's going to be, be interesting. a pretty cool one. Um so next one that I was looking forward to at uh, Black Hat, I was called Bug Bounty Evolution, Not Your Grandson's Bug Bounty by Katie uh, Matasaurus, the founder and CEO of Luda Security. And so the reason this one caught my eye is we recently started a private bug bounty program. I guess not recently. It's been going on for a decent amount of time now. And we've gotten a lot of success out of it. Um, and obviously, uh, we're not the only organizations that have had success out of bug bounty programs. Like you can see the payouts that are being given by public programs indicating that they've been getting valuable research that they've been paying on as well, too. Um, but this talk basically poses the question of, OK, so we as an industry have been doing bug bounty programs for over a decade now. Are they really delivering on what we expect them to be delivering on? Like, have we proven that? Uh, for would-be hackers, or I guess legit actually are hackers, but potentially would-be black hat hackers? Have we proven that uh, it's more valuable for them to sell it to an organization versus the underground? Um, are we sure that this is the most efficient way that we can be running this style of engagement with researchers? And then for the actual researchers, like a lot of them are treated as basically disposable employees, and is that the right way to be running it? So I, I wanted to go see um, their thoughts on basically bug bounty programs as a whole and what their proposal is for how these types of programs can go forward um, and evolve from where they're at right now. Um, I thought that one sounded kind of cool, especially since we are still in the process of growing our own bug bounty bug bounty program too at WatchGuard. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that sounds interesting. By the way, it goes with a very similar talk I'm interested in that I think is happening Thursday at Black Hat called Calculating Risk in the Era of Obscurity. And the subtitle is Reading Between the Lines of Security Advisories. So you talked about bug bounties, which find vulnerabilities with vendors who hopefully they eventually fix it. But this reading between the lines of security advisories seems to more about the fact that 
when vendors release patches, the security advisories are kind of getting less and less plain language English. Uh, by the way, it's given by uh, Brian Gorek and Dustin Childs, who are both Trend Micro Zero Day Initiatives folks. So I uh, suppose people that handle advisories for Trend Micro. But they talk about how, you know, customers, you know, need to know something about vulnerabilities. They need to understand them so that they can under understand the risk in order to know when to, you know, what to patch. And that sometimes the advisories, you know, the the vendor in kind of making the language very not necessarily obscure, but just using typical technical language that may not relay a lot to a normal person. It's you know sometimes it leaves them able to say they have a fix for something that's not fully fixed, or they may not fully give the sense of of how big the risk of this this particular thing is. So basically they, you know, after disclosing over 9,500 vulnerabilities wow. over 17 years, they, they give their, their view of security advisories from vendors today and, and how you do calculate risk if those are kind of obscure. This so one is should be interesting. interesting. Yeah, because I mean, they're exactly on the point with this where a lot of organizations, they like, I, and I get it, like, Putting out an advisory for a flaw in your product, it's something we have to do. Like we're not immune from vulnerabilities oh, for sure. too. And it is, it's awkward. Like you don't want to give up too much information so that like some uh, adversary can develop exploit code based off what you've written. But you do absolutely need to give out enough information both to, like you said, portray the full scope of the issue, like who is potentially impacted and what the actual potential damages are. And that the is risk is, yeah, it, severity. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a fine line sometimes, I feel like, to to walk down. Because at the same time, like I would love to be able to give out a lot more details, but a lot that wouldn't necessarily even be useful to a lot of typical um IT administrators. Probably not to that, most folks. Yeah, that just need yeah. to know if they need to patch it or not. Like they don't care exactly how the buffer overflow or whatever worked. Uh, they just need to know how serious is this? Am I actually impacted or is it in something that I don't use within this product? And then they can make a decision on if they need to expedite the upgrade or if they potentially have time or other mitigating uh, mitigations they can put in place. So, yeah, that really sounds like a interesting talk. Totally agree. Um, I want to hit on one more for Black Hat before uh, we potentially pivot over to DEF CON, um, give you another chance as well. Uh, it's one that I know you pointed out, too, that I thought looked interesting. Um, it's called Smish Smash. Uh, text-based 2FA spoofing using OSINT phishing technology or phishing techniques and a burner phone. Um, and it's by Thomas and, and uh, Mikhail out of FYEO Inc. FIO Inc. What do you think that stands for? <laughs> I do not know. Man. Anyways. Uh, th so th By the way, if anyone's curious about OSINT or, or OSINT, that's open source intelligence. Yeah. Just so you know. And so their talk is basically on a topic that you and I have been yelling down from our ivory towers for the longest time of not all MFA is created equal and text-based MFA is least equal of all. It is still better than literally nothing else. Uh, but if you have any other options, it is the weakest form of MFA. And then their talk, it looks like they're basically just going to use publicly obtainable information, potentially from like employee directories or social media uh, a cracked password and an email and use that in order to, to uh, get into someone's account. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how this one works. Like we've talked about other text-based MFA bypasses that involve, you know, technical compromises of like the SS7 network or um, calling up T-Mobile and social engineering them into porting a phone number onto your SIM card. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see if there's builds off of that or if it's just a completely different type of way of abusing this form of, or bypassing this form of MFA. Yeah, it should be interesting for sure. Uh, by the way, FIO, however you pronounce it, F-Y-E-O, I, I don't know what it stands for, but apparently they secure Web 3.0. <laughs> so, oh, I hate that. Yay. <laughs> no, well, that, that, does that change your mind on the Never talk? Mind, I'm boycotting this time. <laughs> I guess there's so many, I think we both identify. The problem with Black Hat and DEF CON is it's usually we have to skip ones we want to see because there's so many on the same time. But if I, I'll end with one, a simple one I think everyone can understand right now is the growth of global election disinformation subheading the role and methodology of government linked cyber actors that's a mouthful and this yeah and this one is sandra quincosis i, I guess uh, for, uh, she's an intelligence analyst for nisos uh, and apparently they've uncovered a lot of prolific disinformation campaigns specifically for colombia's may 2022 election uh, where Venezuelan leftists were kind of driving certain social media narratives. So uh, long story short, it seems like a very, you know, targeted to Colombia's election, talking about the different dif disinformation that happened there. But seeing that we see this happening in our country too, I think it happens in all countries at this point, but there is definitely Russia and China-based disinformation being spread on social media under the guise of different groups in this the states and by the way it doesn't matter your political pent they would kind of lean on the right or left side their point was to you know be on both sides of the group stir up very ex you know incorrect but extremist information that just got those two sides to argue more and when those two sides are or you know at least in our country two sides polarized and arguing more causes a lot of uh, you know election issues that disinformation may not technically hack the vote but it could affect the vote so it'd be interesting to see I, i'm mostly interested just because hopefully they're going to be using very specific cam campaigns from colombia so i didn't follow that in in great detail but it'd be interesting to see what actually happened and see if we can apply any of those learnings to the election that have come up in the next two years i'm starting to think that States. like this whole social media thing just really wasn't a good idea <laughs> hmm. Just now, you've never you've never disliked Facebook before, or sorry, I'm sorry, Meta. Oh my god, <laughs> it's funny because yeah, there's actually a uh, a talk at Black or DefCon later on the week. I think on Saturday is called Open Cola, the anti-social network, and it's basically them wow. making a open source uh, alternative, free and open source alternative to social networks. I mean, there's a 0% chance of anything like that ever taking off except for like very niche communities of like hackers or whatever. But hey, at least I got to tell you, my while I do not trust the tech companies to be the ones moderating the, discu the discussion, it's kind of my feeling with cryptocurrency. As soon as you make open source <sighs> even less moderate or, or social media even less moderated and open source, the amount of disinformation will it, it could become even huge. The problem is I don't know how to who to trust. You know, there's that whole censorship versus fact and truth balance you need. Yep. Uh, you know, so I, I think unmoderated open source social media would be actually a disaster for disinformation. But obviously, the tech company moderated social media isn't much better. That's a very good point. I still actually plan on going to that talk though, just to see what the heck they're talking about. But 
It should be interesting, yeah. yeah. Uh, but also, so DEFCON, one of the ones I'm looking forward to actually pretty early on on Friday is called a policy fireside chat with the National Cyber Director. Um, so our country's uh, National Cyber Director is Chris Inglis. Uh, that's actually a, a new role in the White House uh, that was just enacted with, uh, with the Biden administration, I believe. And my thoughts are like chats with government officials are usually pretty interesting. Uh, I know, uh, what is it? Chris Krebs, the old, um, is it NSA or NCSC director, uh, is going to be at Black Hat. I think he's actually the keynote there. Um, yep, he is the keynote. He was, un- unfortunately for him, or maybe fortunately for him, fired out of a job uh, towards the end of the previous president's administration for not backing him on uh, claims of election interference. But So he'll be at the Black Hat conference. DEFCON's going to be a uh, uh, Chris Inglis out of the White House for the cyber director role. That's they generally tend to be pretty interesting. Like I think for the most part, when they're in these more bureaucratic roles, they're more uh, interesting and less. Uh, I guess in comparison, what I'm getting at is there's been some senators that have come and talked to like DefCon, and I've never been a super big fan of them. They're very raw, 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 go me. Like feels like you're at a political rally versus actually getting interesting information out of them and what they do on a daily basis and what they're seeing. So this one I'm looking forward to. It's pretty early on on Friday. I mean, I thought that one was going to be kind of cool. Um, another one that if I can. Well, if I can, I, if I if I can add there, I don't know if this is the one you're going to, but it. <laughs> I kind of don't want to because you just crapped on senators. But there is one uh, I was looking at also. I, I think this one might be Friday behind the scenes, the industry of social. Oh, wait, I apologize, audience. I am on the wrong tab. Hacking Congress. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Hmm. Uh, also on Friday. And this one, the the part of why I'm interested, I mean, Hacking Congress caught my eye. Uh, but more importantly, there's a lot of Congress, ex and current Congress congressmen and women there. Former Congressperson Jane Harnman, uh, also James Lagavin. Uh, it looks like Chris Thomas, who's the director of X Force, and uh, another, uh, you know, Ted Lieu, another uh, congressional member. All of these folks, by the way, are Democrats. So I, I, I wish there was kind of a cross, uh, both party representation. But basically, they're going to be talking about, you know, what happens at a cyber crisis at a national level uh, when, you know, suddenly there's a society wide event affecting millions of folks. Who's in charge? How do they cooperate? And, and what does the Congress do? So I think they're going to, to talk about how they would respond to a simulated crisis. That'll be interesting. I to see it yeah i i feel like what they're the, the way it's described and, and kind of how i i remember a talk you and i went to which was a i think a oregon congressman who we actually support their policy but it was a little rah-rah yeah. i feel like this could be either a, a, a interesting subject or a traffic wreck of a disaster because <laughs> they're doing this simulated crisis thing so half of the reason i wanted to see it is kind of that <laughs> Corey is a fan of watching train wrecks um, next one I was actually interested in is back on the Russia topic. So this one is titled How Russia is Trying to Block Tor um, from Roger uh, Dingledine, uh, which, man, I that's a fun last name. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I was just going to say <laughs> Roger Dingledine. I'm sure he had no problems in high poor school. Poor guy. Um, of the Tor project, though, so he's actually one of the members of the organization responsible for maintaining uh, the Onion Router as a browser and protocol project. And so his discussion is on steps that Russia has taken to try and uh, censor and block the Tor network 
So they've already blocked like Tor.org, the actual website itself and the software downloads. But they've been trying to also block the protocols on like an IP by IP whack-a-mole basis um, in order to try and prevent their users or their citizens from accessing this network to get around other uh, centers that they have. And so the talk is going to be about that. And then also what the Tor project has done to reverse engineer what Russia has been trying um, and even change their strategies and software on the Tor side of things to get around those blocking attempts. Um, so this one sounded like it would be pretty interesting. It's very topical. Um, the Tor browser itself and the Tor network is massively important. Not just, you know, you, we tend to hear it as, you know, the dark web where all those criminals live and they sell guns and drugs and hacks and where all that Bitcoin goes. Uh, but the reality is it's like a it's a very beneficial tool for even like. Uh, you know, journalists embedded in a, a hostile nation state where they're trying to protect their sources and protect themselves from potentially oppressive governments or citizens of oppressive nations uh, like Russia or China, where they're trying to censor what you're seeing. This is a way to get around it. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what they've been trying to deal with and what they've done on a technical level to try and get around those uh, blocks that have been thrown up in their face. Yeah, lots of sophisticated threat actors using it. So it'd be interesting to to hear about that. Well, I'll go into a, a weird left field. This is one I'm not doing for business. It's just out of pure interest. And it's a simple, it's freaking elevators. And I have to admit, they got me with the freaking. If you don't remember, freaking is, uh, I used to be a freaker, actually. It's a plain old telephone system hacks. A lot of things you could do with tones back in the day. Back in pop, pop four days. <laughs> Back in my day, Mark, I had to wait for two minutes every time I dialed a zero on a rotary phone. I had a wire a that had phone. to be 50. <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll see, you know, just goes by his alias is going to be talking about the phones you can find in elevators and things you can do with them, default passwords, stuff like that. So not 100%. If there's a more business oriented one, I might go to it, but it definitely sounded interesting to me. It had me at elevator I will too. Like I am a yeah, sucker yeah. for elevator talks. Me, me as well. Uh, I will say on a more business perspective, though, you always uh, give me crap for being a, a Apple fanboy, even though I, I do like some Apple stuff, but I also see issues with it. But uh, a, a good old, this is as much for the speaker as the talk. The talk is called Harnessing Weapons of Mac Destruction, <laughs> MAC Destruction. It's good. Uh, has a demo with an exploit, which is always fun, but it's Patrick Wardell, and, uh, or Wardle. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Uh, Patrick Wardle's talked on Mac Mac vulnerabilities and issues, or things like Little Snitch, one of my favorite old school Mac firewalls. So he's he's found a lot of issues in the past in Mac related, uh, you know, OS related stuff and Mac related software stuff. So should be interesting. And I think as as much as we joke about fanboyism, you and I are pretty clear that Macs are not bulletproof. Macs have have just as many vulnerabilities as Windows computers nowadays. Yeah. They might have decent OS design and stuff like that as far as user, you know, accounts and stuff, but still have issues. Um, I'll, actually, I've got one more that I was going to highlight and I can pitch it back to you for one more. Uh, my last one also is not business related. Um, it's called Reversing the Original Xbox Live Protocols, uh, which is going to be Ooh. a talk on Saturday. This one's super interesting. So the original Xbox Live protocols from when it was launched in the early 2000s until when it was retired, I think like seven or so years ago, 
Um, they're no longer in use. A lot of old services, like on the original Xbox, you obviously can't play them online anymore. Like if you want to go play Halo 2 online, you can't because that version of Xbox Live is dead. Um, this talk is them reversing exactly how it worked and even building replacement server infrastructure for it to basically revive some of these dead games and discuss some of the even um, morals or even like laws around should you be able to go reverse engineer someone's uh, protocols and revive dead infrastructure. So this one looked really cool I because we mentioned mod chips like hacking Xboxes was my jam back in the uh, back in the days. And so this one looked really fun for me, even if it is not strictly work related, but it's DEF CON. So whatever. I'm with you. Exactly. I mean, we're, we're at DEF CON in the weekend. We can do the fun ones, a fun one I won't talk much about, but you can imagine what it is, is called Jamax Z's Your Car is My Car. So uh, I'll be interested in seeing that one. But I will say the final I'll really share with the audience is uh, EDR is coming. Hide your sh- <laughs> Hide your stuff. Let's say hide your stuff. So this tongue-in-cheek uh, presentation is being given by Michael Leibowitz, uh, principal troublemaker is, is what he, <laughs> you know, he's not sharing his company, but that's his title, and Topher Timzin, who's principal vulnerability enthusiasts. And the topic is EDR, you know, a product we have, Endpoint Detection Response. It talks about, you know, the, the summary at the beginning is EDR has new ways to catch malware, and they're blocking all your payloads. It's a pain in the butt, and, and the world's over because you can't can't get past it, right? Well, this talk is probably going to adjust that expectation and start sharing ways that you might get past some EDR software. Talking about, uh, for instance, sign. there's lots of things with signing nowadays that EDR can help maintain. So they talk about bypassing secure U- UF- UEFI, uh, other tricks to, that, that might help them, or actually using UEFI to, as an invisibility cloak to hide from the EDR itself because it thinks it's kind of legit. So uh, as a endpoint vendor ourselves, we certainly want to represent how threat actors might try to start bypassing the new technologies. So a talk I'm interested in learning more about. That does sound interesting. And there are at least a half dozen or dozen or so more that I'm very interested in seeing, too. It's going to be a pretty busy week, all things considered, especially because we are going to be running our Capture the Flag contest uh, at both Black Hat and DEF CON. Um, if, hey, where can our listeners see that online? If you want if to they can't check join it us. out, everything is going to go live when the doors open at Black Hat at WGCTF.com. Uh, if you're a previous uh, user of our Capture the Flag contest or participant, uh, you may remember it used to be CrimsonThorn.net. Uh, we have ditched the name. That site does redirect to the new one. And if you want to participate in the new one, we've got some pretty sweet badges to give out in person. I know if you've completed either the 2020 or 2021 CTFs, you would have gotten a code. Uh, If you completed them in a certain time allotment, you'd get a code to just basically cut the line and get a badge when uh, the hall opens. Otherwise, you'll need to complete a certain amount of challenges, get a certain amount of points, and you'll get a code to come stop by the booth or hound Corey, I, and the team somewhere in the halls of DEF CON to uh, trade that for a badge this year. I think we may even get some prizes there, too, for... uh, folks to get the most points by the end of the weekend. Um, So WGCTF.com. And at least overall, I'm super excited to be there in person and see people in person again. I don't want to speak for you, Corey, but if anyone uh, wants to meet up with the hosts of the 443, hit us up on Twitter for sure. Yeah, let us know. 
We we have a me and Mark will be in briefies and stuff at Black Hat, but we even have a booth at Black Hat. Yeah. So if you come leave a message at the Black Hat, we will be in the booth at various times uh, handling the CTF. And if you leave a message with a number or something, happy to meet up. As it's a busy conference, you're always running from place to place. But uh, we look forward to seeing the community again. I think that's what we miss more than anything yep. else. You know, the community of security folks that we haven't seen for a few years. So should be awesome. Hundred percent. Looking forward to that, and hopefully see some of you listeners there. Uh, and if not. Hope you have fun either attending in person, watching online, or just ignoring the existence of Hacker Summer Camp like you might have been doing for the longest time anyway. Uh, but with that, I think that's a wrap. Time to go pack my bags. Yeah. Although I, I guess we should just add, maybe we'll share some information while we're at Black Hat and maybe do a video podcast to give you a small view of what you missed. We will find a way. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics, suggestions for future episode topics, or if you want to schedule a meet and greet with us at Black Hat or DEF CON, reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore, Corey's at SecAdept, and the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Probably.